Welcome to the Pencils and Lipstick Podcast, a weekly podcast for writers. Grab a cup of coffee, perhaps some paper and pen, and enjoy an interview with an author, a chat with a writing tool creator, perhaps a conversation with an editor or other publishing expert, as well as Kat's thoughts on writing and her own creative journey. You'll laugh, you'll cry, well, hopefully not actually cry, but you will probably learn something, and I hope you'll be inspired to write. Because, as I always say, you have a story, you should write it down. This is Pencils and Lipstick. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Pencils and Lipstick. This is episode 174, and we are getting to the end of March. Happy spring to everybody. Um, We are at the end of the week. Next week is my last week before I take a little bit of a break. And before we get into our interview with David Rocklin, which I'm really excited to share with you all, He has some really interesting ideas and different insights, and he has writing retreats as well, which is really fun. So I want to let you guys know, going into April, a little bit um, is going to change on the podcast because of of certain members leaving us. My editor, Christy, she's been a rock for the last two years or so, and she is going to go on to get her PhD, which is amazing. I'm very excited for her. Um, So we're going to start with a new editor. I'm sure she'll be just as good, Um, but we'll probably change a few things as I usually record this um, first part of the show uh, a little bit closer to when the show goes out. That part is going to change. We'll probably be doing just interviews one one week and then me sort of teaching a little bit more um, the next week and whether or not it goes every other or we sort of switch it around, we will see. But there, the episodes will be a little bit shorter. So if, if it is an interview, it'll be mostly just that interview. So I hope that you guys like that um, that style. Hopefully you'll stick around and check it out at least. Um, I'll probably always say a little bit in the beginning, but it's just to sort of... Um, it. It might be recorded a few weeks earlier and, and not as super fresh right then. Um, so as, as the world turns, right, we, we talked last week about how we're just going to take a deep breath and get our work done. And honestly, I've, I've tried to do that. I don't know about you guys, but things are, you know, stressful in the world. And I took a walk today with my husband and we started talking about things and I got home and I was like, Oh, I can feel my anxiety about the world, just like my frustration with people who, you know, are in charge of our money, in charge of the world stage. And just like, I just want to write my books and I expect you to do your job, right? (laughs) And then like taking my child to school, I stopped for somebody on the crosswalk and then somebody went around and they almost hit the child. And I was just like, this is, this is just crazy. (laughs) Traffic around here is crazy and traffic makes me insane. Does not keep me healthily minded, I would say. So let's all take a deep breath. Uh, we, we need to remember to take care of ourselves. It's spring now here in the Northern Hemisphere. What is it on the Southern? I guess it's the fall then, right? So fall is lovely. I love fall. You know, it's not winter and it's not super hot. Um, so let's just take a deep breath, enjoy the moment. You know, remember to take a walk if you're stuck in your story. If you 
feel like you don't have any ideas, take a walk, maybe, you know, whatever is your favorite exercise, maybe watch a movie or a show. My child was one of my middle one was watching Dance Moms. And I was like, oh my gosh, I feel like I should write a book about these crazy moms. <laughs> I was like, no, that'd be too much. Um, have some fun with your kids, you know, recover if you are dealing with allergies or whatever virus and all these weird things that are going around. Take care of yourself. Um, I, as I said last week, I am have started to take Magic Mind which is like a green tea little shot of goodness. It has mushrooms and all these other vitamins in it. It's amazing. Um, I really, really like it. I've been able to get like two to 3,000 words done every day. Now, it's called Magic Mind, but it doesn't work like magic and cure me of all of my poor (laughs) self-discipline. But I haven't had my morning coffee in the, my afternoon coffee. Sorry, I do take it with my morning coffee, but I haven't had to have like my afternoon coffee. I switched to tea, which is a big step for me. If you know me personally, and I'm trying to drink more water. I don't know. I I really like it. I really enjoy it. Uh, Magic Mind, they are kind of going around and letting everybody know about this cool new product that they created. So I think that you guys should check it out too. Um, they've been really kind and given me a, a little coupon code that you guys can use to try it. It actually tastes pretty good as well. Like it doesn't taste a whole lot like matcha tea. It's, it's actually a really nice flavor. It has a little subtle apple flavor to it. And it's just a little shot. Like, it's not like you have to drink like a a huge glass of nasty, um, tasty stuff. It's a nice taste. It's, um, you know, one and go. I might be a little biased or like easier on taste because as a kid in the eighties, I had to take really terrible medicine. And so I've just learned to like take it. But again, I swear to you, it is not a bad tasting product. You could mix it with your smoothies if you needed to. Um, but it, it has some really good essential vitamins. Get outside and get some sunshine. That is good for your vitamin D intake. And if you are having trouble still with writing, there are so many places that you can go and get some some help. And I want to talk to you guys a little bit about this idea of like um, sort of fiddling with your story all the time. You know, there are certain rules and structure to storytelling that will help us um, really connect with the reader and therefore rise in the book selling charts, right? We have to follow certain things about our genres. So if it is a thriller, most likely you need like a single protagonist, sometimes a team, you know, but they've got to be chasing something. There's got to be like a threat, a threat level there. If it's a mystery, there's got to be a body somewhere, right? Um, If it's a romance, there are at least two people getting together and readers expect a happily ever after. You know, even in thrillers, we kind of expect the guy or gal protagonist to survive, even if maybe there's a few times where they might not survive. Um, So there's all these kind of different rules depending on the genre and rules for storytelling as well. And that is just to keep us within the realms of writing story. Like you can write poetry, you can write um, prose, you can write short stories. You can write literary um, works in which 
perhaps that you don't have to follow those structures as much, but if you are writing um, with the express purpose of selling the book and getting a lot of readers, there are those kind of rules that we talk about, right? But at the same time, we can get stuck in this hamster wheel of, is my book perfect? And does it have all of the of the points that it needs? And does it, you know, is it going to hit reader expectation? And I think you have to balance that. Like, you know, we talk about being physically healthy. You have to move your body. You have to stand a little bit, stretch your wrists <laughs> right, and your hamstrings. But we have to be kind to ourselves mentally as well. You know, there was the other day I was writing and I started writing this scene and I got, I just was sort of um, pushing through it and getting to the end of the scene. And I realized, you know, um, that's not really what I want to write. Like I had, I had plotted it out and there was a specific thing that had to happen right in the plot point. And what I realized was I was, I was trying to get to this scene in my head and I thought, you know what? I'm just going to write the scene in my head <laughs> instead of this. Like I'm sort of, you know, getting through, I felt like I was getting through like thick mud, you know, trying to get the scene down that I was so sure, you know, like hit the requisites. And what I really wanted to write was just the scene with them sort of meeting um, with Scarlett interest in re- meeting by themselves and sort of, you know, getting to know each other and teasing the reader a bit. And so I went back and I wrote that that scene and it's so much better. You know, it's not me as a writer, you know, trying to swim through this thick mud. And so I think sometimes um, we can get stuck in like what, what, what should happen now or this is the plot point that should happen. And our creative selves just want to go and write, you know, what's on our, on our heads. And 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 i think in the in the book launch pad the countdown to writing your book lewis george said talks about like puzzlers and how sometimes um writers have a scene in their head and they just have to go and write that scene and then they can fill in the blanks and i think that's a great idea i think you know if you need permission to do that or if you haven't heard of that before go ahead and try it whatever scene is in your head go get it out and then fill in the blanks i mean i have a lot of my clients write the ending and write the climax at least one of the climax before they get there so that they can figure out a way then to get there or see if what they have in their head is even going to get the characters to where they need to be, or if we need to rework that, right? And so I had written the climax and I had written the ending to the story myself and, um, you know, following what I tell everyone else to do. (laughs) Sometimes we don't do that, but I'm actually trying to do that. And so, you know, once, and then I I thought, okay, then I'll do all these stepping stones to get there. And one of the stepping stones, it, it just felt off to me. And so you just set it aside. Don't delete it, but set it aside and go on to the next one. And man, it was so much faster to write that next one. And now I have more ideas for other ones. And I don't know if the pizza party scene will happen. I mean, it's cute. Like it, they have a, a really kind of cute moment there. Um, 
but it's like all of a sudden there were too many characters around and I was like, oh, they're going too fast. You know, I just, I need to write this other scene first. So I give you permission if you need it, or if you just haven't heard of it, you know, you can skip scenes, you can skip ahead, just sort of set that one aside and move on to something else. It's better than feeling like you're swimming through mud. <laughs> um, before we go on, I want to let you guys know that you can support the show. It would be great if you did just supporting the show over at buymeacoffee.com forward slash pencils and lipstick. Um, the link is in the show notes below. It really helps us keep going. Um, we are a team now of three and we're trying to get the podcast to continue weekly. It does take quite a lot of time. So if you like the show, if you feel like, um, supporting the show, we would love to have your support. You can support it for as little as a dollar. I am thinking about doing a Kickstarter for it in the fall. We shall see. I have like all these ideas and it's already April, you know, I have to do a Kickstarter for bended loyalty and bended love. And I want to do a Kickstarter for pencils and lipstick. And I just don't know if I'm, you know, like allowed to do all of those, <laughs> all of those different Kickstarters. We will see. As usual, there's always, you know, so many balls up in the air. Um, hopefully I can keep them there and not drop them. But if you want to support the show in the meantime, head on over to pencils and lipstick. Uh, I'm sorry, buymeacoffee.com forward slash pencils and lipstick. The link is in the show notes. You can also um, subscribe to my newsletter below. So I have a reader's newsletter in which I talk about my books and other authors' books. Um, I usually run other people's competi uh, competitions or giveaways or my own competition and giveaways. I will be having quite a few different things as I gear up for the Kickstarter. I'm actually having a sale going on for Easter. So if you want to read my um, book based on the book of Revelations, at least that's sort of where the idea came from. And it is a mythological journey book that's the structure of the story, the mythological journey, but with a female and not a male. And it's called Audience with a King. You can get on my reader's newsletter and you can get buy it directly from me um, for just 99 cents. And then there are other offers in there as well. And so I, I run offers like that. I always remind people about my short stories that are published. I run different deals exclusively for my reader's newsletter. And if you're a writer, which I assume quite a few of you are, you should get on my writer's newsletter, which is where you will find all of my workshops and you will find the writing retreats and the information about that. And next week we will have the dates um, for the in-person writing retreat in Spain. Marcy and I are very excited about it. And I'll be having Marcy on to come and talk to you all about what we're going to do pretty soon. So if you want to be ahead of the game, if you want to have exclusive coupons to those workshops and those writing retreats, I suggest you get on my writer's newsletter. Now, if you want to support the show in other ways other than um, monetarily supporting it, you can subscribe on all of the podcast apps, whichever one you use to listen to the show. You can share it with your friends, any of your writing friends. That would be helpful. Just let them know that there are some great interviews and some great writing tips there. You can tell your friends about my writing newsletter and my workshops. And now we have the videos up on YouTube and we're working to get the um, backlog of videos up there, but we definitely have all the new ones going forward. So be sure to go over there and get the videos. Um, you can see what people look like <laughs> and you can also um, find the links over there as well. You can subscribe to the YouTube channel. That would be awesome. 
Before we go on, we are going to talk about the book of the week. Um, and if if you are on the YouTube channel, you'll be able to see it. And of course, it's backwards because we're on Zoom. <laughs> it is called Launchpad, the Countdown to Writing Your Book. And the it is a collaboration effort between Emma Desi and Sam, Grace Salmon. And in fact, there are 12 writers and yours truly is one of them who contributed to the book. It is a book that has just the right balance of inspiration, skill building, and a toolbox of writing craft tips. So everybody wrote one chapter each with one theme each. And I wrote about characters and building your characters. Um, Joe Bunting is in here. Stacey Juba is in here. Lewis George says in here. Emma Desi's in here. There are so many wonderful writers in here giving you their wisdom on what they have learned through their writing and through the courses and um, books that they've read and taken. <laughs> we are always looking into uh, how to better our writing and then wanting to share it with you guys. So I encourage you to check out Launchpad, the countdown to writing your book. The links will be in the show notes below, of course. And if you get on my writing newsletter, I will be having a giveaway on that ebook and the physical book very soon. So just a little hint, go get on my writing newsletter. <laughs> so today we have David Rocklin with us. He is going to talk to us about researching historical um, novels, what he does over in LA with his writing groups, the writing retreats that he's setting up now that COVID is, cross your fingers, over, how he comes up with his um, novel ideas, how he sort of works through, he's traditionally published, so finding those agents and getting that book out and all those good things. So I think you're really going to enjoy this interview. I had so much fun talking to him. So let's get in to the interview with David Rocklin. Some of you have heard me say that I am a fiction book coach. Well, I am an author accelerator, certified fiction book coach. I want to tell you about the author accelerator program if you are thinking at all about becoming a book coach. Author Accelerator is on a mission to raise the bar on book coaching, to help book coaches run successful, sustainable businesses while helping writers do their best work. They have certified and trained more than 100 book coaches, including me, through their book coach certification program. If you're interested in doing this work for yourself, you can click on the link below. There is both a fiction course and a nonfiction course. And if you guys have any thoughts or questions about it, feel free to ask me, Kat Caldwell, about my experience, but I'll tell you right now. I loved it. The course is very in-depth, but it's not overwhelming. It's very well done. And I feel extremely prepared now to help any author who comes my way seeking help from editing a scene to editing an entire manuscript, from getting started to getting it published. It covers everything. And a lot of this stuff I knew personally but it always helps to really have that vocabulary and the exercises that I had to do behind me. I also had to work with three separate authors in order to get certified and I had to hand in all the work for them to go over. So this is not something where I just buy the program and they give me a stamp of approval. They saw my work, 
they evaluated it, they gave me feedback, and then every month we get feedback from each other on what is working, what is not working, and advice and everything else. If you are wanting to look into that and maybe become a book coach in 2023, I would highly recommend you check out Author Accelerator. All right, everyone. Today I have with me David Rocklin. He is a writer and a teacher, and we're going to get into all of the things, all of his books, and very exciting news because we have two two things in common that we'll get into as well. But hello, David. How are you doing? Hi, Kat. Great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I'm glad to have you here. Would you tell us a little bit about yourself in case somebody doesn't know you? Absolutely. I'm a novelist. I live in LA with my wife, my daughters, and a 160-pound Great Dane who, as we speak, is taking up my space on my bed as if that's okay. Um, But you can't argue with him because he's 160 pounds. He's by far the biggest creature in this family. Um, (laughs) And I I am a published novelist. The, The bucket that I generally get put in is literary fiction with sort of a historical bent. Mm. Um, I also host and curate a reading series in LA that's been going for about 10 years now called Rorschach uh, that takes place in Echo Park, if anyone's familiar with the LA area. And I am just about to launch a writing craft book called The Right Formula. And along with that, there'll be both virtual sessions and a physical retreat that I'll be creating in a beautiful space in Idlewild, California, which is in the mountains just outside Palm Springs, where right now, as I understand it, it's about six feet of snow. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully that will melt by the time you get there. (laughs) You know, there's a lot of outdoor seating spaces, so you may just want to bring like a nice thermal blanket. We will see. (laughs) We shall see, right? We don't know. So there are two things there. I have daughters, but my dog is is female. So <laughs> there's okay. that. Very cool. And then very cool. I'm very interested in writing retreats. So that's one of the reasons mm. why I wanted to have you on because um, oh, cool. after COVID and all the things yeah. and you know, huddling down, yeah. it's nice yeah. to get out, right? <laughs> you know, it's funny. The, the reading series, we maintained it through COVID, but we did it virtually. And on the one right. hand, what I can say about it is it was lovely to meet readers and writers both who don't live in LA, who wouldn't ever be able to get to the the series when it's live. And that was great. But I really, really missed not only just the company of people, but the specific company of writers. Being in a room with people who sort of intrinsically understand what what the writing life is, and just kind of having that connection, having that vibe, having that sense of community, um, it wasn't until we came back for our first live show when COVID kind of started to, it's it's still with us very much so. And at the beginning of each show, I always say, I'm presuming you're all vaccinated. If you're not vaccinated, I'm presuming you have a mask. And if neither of those things are true, I'm presuming you're leaving now. And, <laughs> it, you know, but that sense of community meant more to me than I think I realized. Mm. And that is something that also drove me to create what will be a physical retreat okay. to, to give writers the chance to just be with others in a in a lovely setting in limited numbers so that nobody feels like they're going to AWP and getting like completely overwhelmed. Um, 
but just to to have that space none of us get at home i mean you being right. a parent you know you know your ability to kind of carve out you time to just simply dive into reading something writing something editing something consulting on something without being pulled in multiple directions without having distractions that's that's hard to come by and so that was a big driver for me in deciding to create this yeah, that's amazing. I I know most of us do write the novels in in short bursts, possibly <laughs> probably yeah. shorter than what we wish that they were. Whatever that ends up being, <laughs> at, right? At four a.m. because <laughs> that's the only time. Yeah, so you hope no one else wakes up, especially the dog. I know, I know. I'm actually 23, but look at what yes, the writing exactly. life has done here, man. <laughs> It's so stressful. Oh my gosh. I'm telling you. So how did you start to write and decide that you wanted to write novels? Because it's not an easy journey to get published. I've noticed. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So for me, the writing life, I think, writing has just always been a part of my life from as long as I can remember. I went through all the requisite phases of a young boy to a teenage boy should go through. You know, there were times I wanted to be Bruce Lee. There were times I wanted to be a metal guitarist. There are times I wanted to be, uh, you know, a champion MMA fighter. I went through (laughs) all the phases. And, you know, let let me just issue a spoiler alert. None of those came true. But the the one common thread was I wrote about them. Okay. And so early on, I began to realize one thing about myself, and that is that writing is kind of how I understand and make sense of my world. And my world doesn't always make sense until I start thinking about it in a writerly way and start trying to find, well, what are the dynamics of this? What does it mean? What does it have to do with something that maybe happened to me last year? Are there connecting threads? Are there themes in my... That's when I begin to sort of understand things in perhaps a more depthful way. Okay. Otherwise, I'm just kind of a blissful idiot, you know, just kind of <laughs> going, going along, making sure that the family is fed, making sure that there's a roof and all that fun stuff. Um, but I think the, my, I, I trace my formal start as a writer to my first encouragement received from someone who saw okay. something in me yeah. and then my first writing lesson the the encouragement came from a grade school english teacher named mrs luxembourg who told me that she felt that she was going to see my name in print one day oh that's um, nice i i thank her and acknowledge her in every book i do and she's still with us and i still keep in touch with her over facebook um and she is as feisty as ever and uh, she reads my books when they come out. And that's like the loveliest that's thing in awesome. the world. Um, and then my first writing lesson, honestly, which was that all, oh, look who's here to say hi. Come on <laughs> in, buddy. Um, my first writing lesson, which was all writing is contextual. You know, when when you read something, you bring your context to it. And right. so whatever the writer thought they were communicating, it's different now because of the way that you've received it and the, the life experience you've had that right. causes you to, hi, how are you? Thank you. Um, and that was oddly, when I was little, I would sneak into R-rated films oh my all gosh. the time. <laughs> all, like, I, I, I should not have been there. Let me just say to anybody who's listening who is under the age of, say, 18, R is for a reason. Don't get traumatized. <laughs> but I would, I would literally sneak downtown Chicago where I grew up, and I would just sit in these movie theaters, and I would watch these R-rated triple features all day. It was my joy. And I think part of it was I was getting away with it. 
And so one day I snuck into a showing of the Bruce Lee film, Enter the Dragon, which I was seeing for the very first time. If you haven't seen it, um, don't try to get in touch with me because I I don't want to know you as a human being. You got to go see it. (laughs) Then let's talk. But I was, my mind was just blown apart by by the, the impossibility of what he was doing physically. And he was just a very charismatic actor and martial artist and so here I am, a very small child, sitting in this movie, and there were two adult guys behind me who were entertained wildly both by the movie and by the fact that there's a little kid whose head you couldn't even see over the seat. You were all by yourself? Right in front of them, all by myself. <laughs> oh my I would God. do this. All, I would sneak downtown. My parents were like, yeah, go, whatever. We don't care. They didn't even know where I was. Um, and after the movie was over, they leaned forward and they said, what did you think? And I was like... That was insane. I've never seen anything like that. That was incredible. And they're like, yeah, it's really too bad he's dead, right? And I'm like, oh, (laughs) no. What? They're like, yeah, no, he died some time back. You know, they replay these films, but he, yeah, he's dead. And then they get up and leave. And I'm just sitting there like, oh. And so because he could do this at the time, um, I sat through it again. I just stayed there. But that time, the second time, everything was different. Every time he did something, every time there was a turn in the story, every time there was a development, my mind said, well, he can't do that anymore. He's gone. That's the last time he's going to do that. And what I realized looking back on it was I just saw two extremely different stories. Right. It's the same film, but my context had changed. And over time, I began to realize that's writing. Writing is never your story. Writing is always what does your character think about your story. The context is what separates, you know, just the rote movement of scene A to scene B to this is a story that's taking me along because I'm invested. It's it's the context. So that was my first real writing lesson, I think. Oh, that's a really amazing way to say it. Like, what does your character think about the story? Because we we think about it being the character story, but that puts a bit of a twist on it, that you're writing it, you're the pen, right? But really, what is it that the character thought of this story yeah. being told? Yeah. You know, when I'm, when I'm um, leading sessions, and I'll be doing this um, on the retreat as well, especially when we get into setting, this becomes really important. And I talk about this like ad nauseum because I'm pretty passionate about it. You know, we've all read stories where you're like, well, I think it took place in a small town. Yeah. I mean, whatever. Small town USA or it was like a little Dutch village or something. I can't remember the name, but it didn't really matter. And then there are stories where the setting is vital. The setting is a character. You know, I mean, what's Harry yes. Potter without Hogwarts? There's there's a reason, you know, what's Gone with the Wind without Terra? There, even though Gone with Wind to me is like, you know, racist and I just can't watch it. But, you know, but the setting yes. is famous and there's a reason for that because it, the setting is viewed through the eyes of a proud woman who shortly comes to such bad ends that she can no longer afford it. Right. And you better believe Tara is different for her when that happens versus the beginning, because it's not the setting. It's what the character thinks about the setting. And so we, we go deep into this. That's so true. And that, that really makes the reader then be invested in it. Doesn't it? Where, like you said, uh, Harry Potter is not Harry Potter without Hogwarts, like send him to an American high school and it's complete. It changes the story. Like it's a completely different 
premise. <laughs> like it, right, everything, exactly. everything's going to yeah. change. So yeah, so it's like let, let's put Harry Potter in Amish country. You know what? Let's not. Yeah, let's. let's that, a, that, no, my brain's going crazy. At although there may there, there may be some fan fiction opportunities. Yeah, go go with it. True, you can you can see Harry, what Harry happens. Potter and the butter churn of doom. I it just writes itself. <laughs> but it's true. There there are certain. I guess I can't think of where the setting. I mean, you've, we've all read those books, right? Where the setting doesn't really play a part. And I think it does take away from it, from the story itself. But then there's also when people get the setting wrong. And I think you can really see that in books where like they'll go on and on and on about something. And maybe it's kind of cool, <laughs> but it doesn't connect with the book. So what would you think yeah. that a writer is doing there? Is it is it just like they're putting in a description because they have to or something? Yeah, yeah, they're 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 doing basically Wikipedia research, and they're just looking sort of at a map, and they're they're saying, okay, so let's see, my character needs to sail from Kiel, Germany, to uh, let's put him in Spain, and so he sailed for a month, and then if you really do a deep dive, you find out, yeah, under. Under a boat with a nuclear-powered motor, you couldn't make it that fast. <laughs> and, and and inevitably, for all writers out there, you what? He wants um, to be part of the all pack. writers. He does want. He's like he's like. Did you mention how much I weigh? Yeah, I did. Um, all writers out there, someone's going to catch you. Yeah, somebody lives there. Somebody knows that route. There was. I always think about it in terms of this uh, old American film that everybody who went to my college had to see. It was called Breaking Away. It's it's actually a wonderful film. I think it's from like the 70s or something. And basically, it's set on the campus of Indiana University. Um, and it deals with what's called the Little 500, which is a tradition on that campus of a bicycle race. Huh. And it's held every year. And it's like a big, giant deal on the campus. And so this film, was that was the backdrop of, of the story. It's actually a beautiful film about friendship and growing up and figuring out who you are. But there's a scene in the film that when you're on campus, it was literally like Rocky Horror. You'd go to the theater and when the scene came up, everybody would just start throwing things at the screen oh, no. because the writers basically had the character leave his house, which is on a particular street, and he turns right on, on his bicycle and now he's on a different street. Everybody who went to school knows that that's about a 10-mile difference, oh. and that, that right turn does not put you on that street at all. And everybody started yelling. And it's funny, but the problem is when you do that in your novel, when you create a setting um, or create a scene, but it's not grounded in the reality that you've established, right. and that's different than the reality that exists, right? right? If you want to create an alternative universe New York, as long as you've established it and established the rules of it, then you get to do what you want. If you want to basically say that the Empire State Building is actually horizontal, that's fine. If it's endemic to your story and you've created those rules, cool. But if you haven't, if you've just simply shortcutted and it's spotted, it's not just like, oops, you got me. I didn't do enough research. I'm now, I'm out of the story because yeah. all I'm thinking about is, you know, I may not be conscious of this thought, but as a reader, all I'm thinking about is, well, what else about your story can I not trust? Right. What else is there that I'm am I in safe hands because you haven't you haven't brought your best to this? So mm. should I be reading? I mean, it really has more of a ripple effect than I think writers sometimes think about. So it's like get those details right or make them up, but make that making up 
an intrinsic part of your story, as long as you're following your rules, whatever they are, we're going to go to whatever alternate universe you want to take us. Yes, yes. I I think you're very right about that. That It's that disconnect that you suddenly Mm -hmm. feel and you're no longer invested in it. And then, yeah, you've lost trust with your readers and the chances of them picking up another book might not be <laughs> are pretty right. low at that yeah. point. And especially if you're, if you're talking about sort of non-traditional publishing, self-publishing, um, a writer, you know, th- this is just the, the, the fact of the state of play with readership, right? The majority of readers are going to gravitate towards names they know. I mean, there's mm-hmm. a reason where if you look at the New York Times bestseller list, I the think Colleen people. Hoover is like eight tenths of it. Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, who is this person and how are they dominating yep. all of this? But obviously there's a strong sense of trust. Mm-hmm. There's a strong sense of, and for some writers who are sort of more pure, and we were kind of talking about this, that, you know, the demarcation between genre fiction and literary fiction right. and I'm literary fiction I'm above this it's like so that means you're starving is what you're saying <laughs> like you know all these like sort of demarcation points you know there's a sense of you know this writing is more worthy than that writing all writing is is taking root in the reader the reader is different for having read it the right. reader values the experience of those words the reader is carrying those words forward when the reader remembers a time in their life it may be tied to a song maybe tied to your book yeah and you don't know that but you don't know how much your writing matters to someone but since readers tend to gravitate towards writers they already know when a reader says you know what i'm not familiar with this this cat caldwell but I really like the cover or I love the description on the back jacket. I'm going to give this one a go. Uh, I mean, I don't want to pile pressure on people, but as a writer, it's not just, well, I hope I convince you to give me another try. I hope you like this story. It is also, I hope you'll give a try to other writers you don't know. Right. So we have, we have a bond with each other as writers. We we've taken, the kind of unspoken pledge that drivers take when they hit the road. I promise to keep you other people safe. I'm not going to go crazy. I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to be stupid. Right. So as writers, we've also kind of taken a little bit of an unspoken oath, right? Like I'm going to give this my best. Yeah. I'm going to put forth effort. I'm going to, I'm going to care about this book. I'm going to bleed over this book because if I don't, then there may be writers, you know, who can transcend the the hubbub and get their book known by an inordinate number of people. But for the most of us, it's word of mouth. Yeah. You know, it's whatever marketing our publisher puts into it, but it's also, you know, Kat turning to her family and saying, Hey, I read this book by this guy called The Night Language. You should really read it. Right. That's yeah. how that's how we go. That's how all of us go. So bring your best, man. Oh, bring yes. your best or 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 you know. <laughs> or find <laughs> something else to do. <laughs> I, I've been talking about this for probably a year now with uh, anyone listening to the podcast. They might be tired of me, but I'm, I know that writers, usually we have some sort of talent, right? Or some draw to it. But at the same time, there's a lot to learn about this. And I think that ties into this trust that we have between yeah. writers and between writers and readers, right? And and they're trusting us that we're putting forth our best. And I try to encourage yeah. everyone to, of course, the book that you write in the moment should be the best that you can do at that moment, right? We can't know everything. And if we waited till we knew everything, 
we'd never write a book, you know, but at least put forth your best and understand the craft. Um, like I, mm-hmm. I see things on Twitter where people are saying, well, to hell with, you know, grammar rules or structure rules. And my thought is always, that's fine if you understand what those rules are before you break them. But otherwise, yes. it's just sort of this ignorant arrogance of like, I can break rules. I don't even know how to say what they are. So that's not breaking rules. That's not knowing what you're doing. <laughs> like, you know, it's, it's funny. I, I think about this in two different ways. The first way is like in martial arts, there's this concept and I, I kind of came up doing combat sports. That was a formative event for me sitting and watching it the dragon Lee, in so yeah. many ways. <laughs> oh my God. Um, but one of the, one of the concepts that I learned was learn the rule, master the rule, then break the rule. Yeah, I think that it applies across the board. You don't get to break the, the rule before you learn it. And the other concept is, and this is something all of us, all writers, we all do this. We all relate to this. Um, it's when you write that first draft and your impulse is, oh my God, that came from my heart. It's pure. It's raw. It's ready. I'm sending it out. You know, and we all do. We all do this, right? Hopefully, most of us either have an internal editor or a friend who says, no. you know, you're adorable. It's a first draft. Yes. Shut up. Now the work begins, right? right. But there, so there, I, I fully, fully understand that impulse of, oh my God, it's raw, it's ready. I'm, I'm so transgressive. I've crossed all the boundaries. My sentences don't even make sense. They don't even begin. You know, it's like, that's lovely. That's cool. But you may think you're communicating something, but what are the chances that communication is going to be received um, the way that you thought? Yeah. So, you know, if if you if it mattered so much to you to tell this story, whatever the story is, it might be a poem, you know, of two or three lines, or it may be a 600-page novel in in parts, whatever it may be. If it mattered so much to you <clears throat> that and all writers we understand this, right? You bleed over those pages. You you think about them when you're not writing them. You come back to them over and over and over again before you ever set pen to paper or finger to pad. Um, if it mattered that much to you to do it, it probably matters to you in terms of how it's understood, right? right. We all have put right. something out, given it to a beta reader, and they're like, you know, it's 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 the conundrum of the writing workshop or or when you're dealing with an editor or something where they hand it back to you and you get three different pieces of criticism on the same issue and they're all different. And you're like, who do I listen to? What do I do? It's like, no, that that's data. What it's telling you is whatever you thought you were communicating, it's not coming across right. the way you thought. Right. So now you right. have a decision to make. But that decision should never be, I'm one and done. You know, yeah. I, I threw it down on paper. It's ready. Unless where you're taking it is to your drawer, which is awesome. Make it pure. Look back on it when you're 90 and go, look at me. I was adorable at 17. Look at the thoughts I had running in my head. Yes. Um, I, I found a journal of mine, you know, like some months back, really old one. And it was basically the equivalent of I'm a lone wolf. Nobody understands me. Nobody's ever felt like this before. Right. And now you kind of look at it and go, oh, but at the time that felt very pure to right. me. Would I put it out? No. No, <laughs> no, it's terrible. I I learned from it. I grew right. from it, but right. yeah, that's not that's not publishable. And that's the thing. As writers, we all know we have no choice but to write. Yeah, it's in us. We can't not write. The thought of not writing is unthinkable. That's that's the need. 
but to publish, to read it out loud, to give it to someone, that's not the same thing. That's a decision. Mm-hmm. So if you make that decision, respect, right. respect this, the world you're stepping into, make it the best you can. Yeah. Yeah. And be, and that's the only way that you can be proud of it. Right. I mean, I've worked yeah. with yeah. authors. I work mostly with indie authors, but there is an issue in, in which you always have the nagging feeling if you didn't put your best and then they have a hard time marketing it because yeah. they they have that sort of like, oh, I don't really want anyone to see it. Like, well, then, mm-hmm. then take it off and go fix it, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that imposter syndrome is real. We all feel it. Um, I'm fortunate enough to have been published twice. I feel it. Yeah, um, it's like with every book, right? You, oh yeah, I feel, yeah, I feel at the beginning of every book. It's always it always kind of comes in the form of the question: Am I good enough to tell this story? Am I up to this task? Am I the right one to tell this story? Do I have do I have what it takes to do it? Um, and then when you when you make that next step of sending it out, sending it to an agent, sending it to publishers, sending it to editors, and waiting for their reply. You sit there with the quiet, and the quiet to me is harder than the rejection, right? The rejection is at least an answer. The quiet is you're sitting there going, What are they thinking? Yeah. They, they think it's terrible. They picked it they, up. They yet. think it's awful. <laughs> yeah. They picked it up. What, have they even read it yet? And you just start reading in the most negative stuff. Um, and part of that is, Well, uh, you know, this isn't something I'm good enough to do. We mm-hmm. all have that. Make friends with that voice. It's not going away, it's always going to be there. Use it as fuel. Right, right. To keep going, keep learning. So, yeah. yeah. What, so, you have two books that are, like mm-hmm. you said, typically more like literary fiction with a historical bent. You have really interesting yeah. stories. So, one is called, your first was The Illuminist, right? The Luminist. The, the Luminist, yeah. The Luminist. Mm-hmm. I had to pronounce that right. And the second. <laughs> it's a hard one. Yeah, it's a hard one. <laughs> okay, it's a night language. So, mm-hmm. how. Yeah. How is your writing process? Like, how do you come up with these stories? Like, they're very different if you want to give us a little blurb on each one. Yeah. And then what is your process in research and writing and maybe if you're plotting or what, all that stuff? Yeah. Um, what's funny about how do I come up with them is I I almost feel like I don't. It, mm. it almost feels like they they find me among others and they say, you're the home I'm supposed to be in, right? And it's just up to me to recognize that they found me for a particular reason. And so for me, all my books, all three of them have started with, it first starts with an image. It mm-hmm. may either be an image I'm seeing, um, like the Luminist started with an image that I saw at the Getty Museum in LA. And then the image is essentially married at some point to a little fact, a little kernel, a little nugget that's of no interest to anyone but me. And somehow that image and that little fact collide and they start throwing off sparks and a fire starts and now I can't look away from it. Um, And that's happened all three times. So the Luminist actually arose from a photographic exhibition at the Getty in LA of early Victorian era photography back when it was just beginning and nobody really knew what they were doing, they had an exhibit of a woman named Julia Margaret Cameron, who was, she lived during the Victorian era. She lived for a time in Ceylon, which is now Sri Lanka. Um, She was married to a director of the East India Trading Company. And 
the images I thought were just gorgeous. You know, she, I found her to be really transgressive and cool because she essentially stepped through all the boundaries that were put up for women at the time. Mm-hmm. She insisted on this as her artistic expression that was unheard of. And I'm like, what a badass. I, I would yeah. love to kind of know a little bit more about her, but I wasn't really thinking about it as a book. I had you know, kind of my obligatory drafts of terrible books in my drawer, you know, and had kind of begun them. And I, the one thing I can say about myself is I've never like not completed it, but you know, I, I have my terrible, my terrible novels that will never see the light of day because I like people and I don't want to do that to them. <laughs> um, but I hadn't really found my voice, I think. Um, and then, so because I became interested in her, I read a biography of her. And out of all the pages of the biography, there was one sentence. That was it. And the one sentence was, she lost a child at birth. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, that fact collided with these early images of her first attempts at photography. And what arose from that was the idea of this woman holding her baby who she'd lost at birth and realizing in five years, I may not remember what you look like because memory is frail and memory is faulty and I can't hold on to you. And then comes this art and science that promises the possibility of holding a moment still forever. And a woman who basically says, I will never lose a moment that matters to me again if I can help it. And that became the story of the Luminist, um, this cool. sort of early age photographic pioneer and a young Tamil boy who becomes her apprentice um, in this burgeoning art. <clears throat> and then the second novel, The Night Language, arose from one of the images that she took in life, which I got to see as part of the Getty Archives when I was doing research for The Luminist. Um, and it was of this young black boy who was probably about 10 years old. He was. This was from the you know mid to late 1800s. He, it was one of the images she had taken. He was dressed in what a colonialist would consider African garb. It looked mm-hmm. to our eyes, it looked stereotypical. It looked degrading. It was kind of horrifying. But his face, he looked defiant, lost, lonely, pissed, and I'm like, who is this kid? I I Mm -hmm. need to know who this kid is, but I put it aside because I had to finish the luminist. And then that happened, you know, like a book tour and all that fun stuff. And when it was time to think about what I was going to write next, I came back to that photo. I'm like, I need to know who this child is. And so I did research and out of the research, I learned who he was. He was the son of the Abyssinian emperor, Abyssinia now being Ethiopia. um, And that he was taken forcibly um, by England after an invasion of Abyssinia and brought to be a ward of Queen Victoria's court. And in Mm -hmm. life, and this was the little fact that collided with the image, in life, he died very young. And so the collision for me there was, I need to write him a life that he didn't get. I need to. I just need to. Um, And so in the beginning of that book, the first few drafts, I was kind of hewing rather close to what his real life was, which was there was a British officer who became kind of like a father figure to him. Mm -hmm. But that dropped away because in one sequence in like the third draft, when he was aboard the ship, bringing him back from his home um, where he doesn't know anybody, doesn't speak the language. He's surrounded by the people who essentially obliterated his country. He's very Mm -hmm. much alone. 
there he sees across the galley one day another black young man who didn't have a role in that draft, didn't have a name. He just saw him. And in that moment, he's like, there's at least one other like me right. here. And then in subsequent drafts, he acquired a name. And he came up to the deck and they stood next to each other on the rail. And they were just kind of looking out the rail and they were both too afraid to say anything. And this young this young man actually um, basically was like, you know, the apprentice to a surgeon aboard the ship. And they were just standing there and they were looking at their hands next to each other and how they were like the same. Um, right. And this gradually evolved into they became the love of each other's life. I didn't see that coming. That was not the plan. But I let the characters find their way. And that is what ultimately became the night language, which was this love story that takes place in Queen Victoria's court where the forces of politics and society conspire to keep them apart and essentially punish them for who they are. And so it became the, um, the story of what would you do for the love of your life if you had to? How far oh, would you go? And so that's, that's the second book. So it, it seems like, and this might be just a, the way that you said it now, like the luminous, you almost had the premise right away, like how she was going to hold on to that moment. But it sounds like the night language, it really took some digging yeah. into just writing that character to find it. Yeah, I think that's really insightful. I think that's exactly right. I had to kind of find my way. Um, yeah. And as part of that, I think that I had to put to practice what I had learned, which was trust the characters when they start mm -hmm. talking back to you. When they start telling you, I know what you thought I was going to do. I, I'm aware of your your map, your outline, whatever your you do. <laughs> I, your plan. Um, I scoff at your plan. Yeah, yeah. I'm aware of what you thought I was going to do towards the end of the book, but I'm not that person. I, that's not who I've come to be. Um, and you've come to know me. You know I'm not that person. That's not the decision I would make. And so I had to kind of put trust in that. Um, yeah. That that's let them let them go where they're going to go. Let's see what happens. The worst that happens is I rethink it. But right. let me let me see where you guys are are headed to, and that's where it was headed to. And and frankly, that's what got it published. Yeah, I, I think that's really interesting because there there are times and there are stories I find personally where like I could have the whole idea. And then it turns out that that's just a very small seed <laughs> and like the rest of the yeah. finished book has nothing to do with it. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I marvel at people that stick to their plans. <laughs> I wonder always how, how, like, did they spend five years thinking yeah. about it? <laughs> I don't know. Right. I, I marvel at them, but at the same time, it's funny because, um, and this is actually a part of the, the right formula, the writing, the writing craft book. It, this is a very, very prominent part of what I try to impart to people and in the retreats, we'll be talking a lot about this, but imagine for a moment you and I have just met, which is not hard to imagine because we just, just met because <laughs> we, we just did. Um, but imagine for a moment that we're sitting there and I say, okay, cat. So here, here's how this is going to go. Um, I'm going to write out an outline of our friendship each day for the next year. So that when you check the outline in June, you can see that we are going for coffee at 10.30. I'll be getting your coffee for you. It will have cream in it. And you're going to be drinking it. And then you're going to hurl it at the wall. That's what you're going to do June 
at 10.30 a.m., count on it because you are not allowed to change it. You're locked in. And that's going to happen every day. There's going to be some decision I've made for you. And you're going to be like, you don't know me. You don't know whether I even right. like coffee. You don't know whether I'm going to be in the same city as you. You don't even know if we're going to still be friends. You don't know anything. <laughs> and that's kind of how I feel about writing an outline out and then sticking to it no matter what happens in the no actual right, writing. Right. Let them breathe because they're going to start making decisions. Who wants to, who wants that friendship? Nobody wants that friendship. You know, the, the, what you want is let's get to know each other. Let's determine who we are in our various situations. Now let's talk about what we're going to do in an yeah. informed way. And that's, that to me is sort of where, where the writing process, the whole process of getting from A to B to C to D, that's where it is. It's not necessarily in that first plan. It's great to have it because it kind of gives you a little bit of a guide, but don't be afraid to deviate from it. That's where all the good stuff is. Right. So, so let's talk about your craft book. It's called The Right Formula. So, W R I T E, yeah. right? <laughs> uh, how did the idea I'm so come clever. about? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I think it came about in combination of um, having completed and being published twice, which is a lovely thing that I'm very, I feel very fortunate about. And then, particularly, the reading series of watching writers kind of come in, come out, you know, go through the process of sharing their work in a public way, um, how it's received, um, and, you know, hearing everything from, I want to expand this short piece into something longer, but I don't know how, mm -hmm. to, honestly, I didn't realize that that's how my piece was going to go over until I started getting the feedback from the audience, and I go, oh, that's what they're hearing. Mm. I didn't. I didn't really get that right away, um, and kind of all of that coming together, and then writers just sort of asking me questions because um, they knew I, you know, I was published or that I was represented and stuff, and just and when I would answer those questions as best I could, it, just in terms of well, here's here's kind of how I do it. I right. mean, I, everybody's got their own way, but this is sort of what I find helpful. And then hearing like, oh, it was really helpful. I began to realize well, maybe there's something of value that I can kind of give back. Right. To writers, you know, not to say like, this is the way it's more like, this is what I do. Okay. Um, yeah. Let's see. Let's see if it works for you. Um, and so that's really the spirit of it is not to kind of say, I have cornered the market on writing techniques. It's more like, this is what has really helped me. Um, and it gets me through those writing phases that we all go through everything from I'm just not sure where to take this idea or how much research should I do or I don't really know where to drop a flashback in how do I figure that out to how do I deal with criticism how do I deal with rejection yeah. um, I've been through all of those and sort of like well here's here's what's kind of helped me I hope it helps you too yeah. Yes. I, I tell people all the time, anyone I'm working with and myself, uh, there are so many ways to do things. This is an art form, right? And But yeah. again, we have to look at the different ways that people do things and learn from them. I think in order <laughs> to find our own way, right? Like we, it yeah. will probably be a marriage between what you say in the right formula to what a writer is doing now to maybe what they find outside, right? Because in the end, yeah. 
it's art and it's just our brains and <laughs> we have to get it, it. Is. but it can be really helpful to see what other people have done oh my god yeah i mean you know it's an oft repeated axiom of writing that if you want to be a writer read read widely yeah. read outside your area read everything i've learned from so many writers of so many different types of writing um i had a writer friend who kind of wrote on sort of a contract basis for Harlequin um, okay. and just the techniques that she brought to the notion of keeping that pace, keeping the plot right. moving, in, incorporating certain elements. I mean, it was you know kind of interesting the way that they did it because it was like by page such and such, you need to have yes. this. Um, and have it, was, it was very interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's got to be sex. Um which, you know, it, it, so the, I learned from everybody and, you know, sort of the cliches of writing is that genre fiction is usually written poorly, but it moves like lightning. The, the, the plotting and the pace is great. Literary fiction, oh, it's written beautifully, but it just sits there. It doesn't go anywhere. It's just somebody walking around New York for five days thinking about their life and it's boring as shit. And it's like, those are the cliches. Mm -hmm. And the truth should always be marry all of them. Right. Marry them together put them together. Right. Um, and so it, it's, it's just kind of a fascinating amalgamation to me that hopefully writers are reading and they're picking up. And in fact, I kind of sort of, uh, there's just a, 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 an approach that I've taken when I read that kind of taught me how to plot because mm. I wasn't MFA and I didn't have access to like a writer's workshop. So I really was trying to figure out how to plot a story just from my own sense of storytelling and reading other writers and kind okay. of asking myself, what do I know about the story and mm -hmm. what are they doing to share that information with me? Sort of taught me in almost like a blueprint way, this is how they approach it. Okay. And once you read like six or seven books, you begin to realize you have permission. There are so many different ways to structure a plot. There are so right. many different ways to drop in little things. There's not a, there's not a one formula that fits all that must be adhered to. You have freedom. Mm -hmm. And that's a very freeing idea. It's like, I can really approach this. Like, you know, one question I always ask writers to ask themselves when they feel stuck is, what am I afraid of right now? What am I afraid of doing that's causing me to hesitate? Like, am I afraid that if I do such and such, it's not publishable? Mm. Am I afraid that if I say such and such, it's offensive? Right. What, what is, what am I afraid of? And then do that thing. And then do it. <laughs> yes. Yes. So are you going to be using this sort of the structure of this book of the right formula at the retreats? Is that sort of how, yeah. okay, so you're going to, are you going to be asking them these questions? Like, is it going to be an interactive retreat? Is it going to be? Oh, extremely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, so there's a few things I think I've come to believe um, about what makes sort of a good retreat. Okay. Um, number one is make sure there's lots of really delicious food yes, and, food. <laughs> you know, good, good stuff to drink hundred percent. And number two, make sure that there is the thing that we don't get, which is time, mm. time and space to just do the work, whether that day the work is writing or whether that day the work is staring out into a beautiful vista, which this property happens to have. And it's really lovely. Um, so the way I think the retreats are going to go, the physical retreats, is that, you know, 
get together. I'm, I'm first of all, not going to have people stay at the spot because my feeling very strongly is that at a certain point, you just want your own space. Mm. You don't want to like live, breed and eat with people for two or three days straight and then go, go Betty by with them and then wake up with them. You want your own little space. So we'll, we'll make sure that gets taken care of. Um, but we'll get together in the morning, have some food, get into a writing session, something guided with lots of really fun, interactive exercises talking a little bit about what we're trying to accomplish and what we're going to hopefully produce that day. And then space. I will be around. Everybody who wants to consult with me can run things by, bounce ideas around, but it'll be writing space. And we come back together kind of later in the afternoon with more food there and in between, maybe do something fun, like take a little hike or do a little yoga session or just something a little physical. Mm -hmm. Um, and then call it a day. Um, so it'll be like content. It'll be guidance and interactive talks between each other and between us. Um, and then it'll be just that time and space where there's no demands on you. There's no distractions. Nobody needs anything from you. This is your time. You. This is your getaway. So I, I hope to make that as cozy and as enriching as possible. That sounds lovely. <laughs> It's very lovely. You're welcome to come. It's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a short hop from DC. <laughs> this is true. So when when is it going to be? And and do you plan on, you said you're going to do one online as well? Yeah, I'm going to probably do some virtual sessions um, to coincide with when the book is available. And I think the first writing retreat will probably be like the fall, the oh, fall fun. of this year. Okay. Yeah. That's wonderful. I mean, I, I do think that sometimes we get really stuck in this day-to-day and we have this book to write and all the demands, right? And I found for myself, and I've been talking about it for a while, it's like the time to think about the book. Like sometimes you you have maybe an hour and you feel like you should go write the words, right? And really what I found with myself is half the time, almost literally 50% of the time, I need to go take a walk and think, about the words. Of course, then you get a little bit frustrated because then you don't have any time left to put the words on the paper. <laughs> but that's, half of writing is thing, thinking, right? right? Like that staring. Absolutely. And- it is. I mean, you know, whenever writers say, oh my God, I feel really guilty. I didn't do any writing today. I'm like, were you thinking about it? Were you thinking about a character? Were you sort of interrogating yourself a little bit about what am I trying to say in that particular section? You were writing. Right. You were a hundred percent writing. You may have been doing better writing than when you were writing. You know, it's okay. It's it's a hundred percent okay. That that guilt thing, which I think sometimes can be a little bit fueled by social media, mm-hmm. where it's like, you know, or like, you know, some of these like nano writemo contests where it's like, you need to put down five thousand words. No, you do not. You need to write when you can, when you feel it. You need time and space and freedom to think about what you're writing and really be able to focus on it. But when you start putting hard deadlines and you know minimum word counts on yourself, I get it. You know, writers write that's what you quote unquote should be doing. But when you start weaving like guilt and shame and you know that sense of compares despair when you look at other writers and go, right. "Oh my God, they're way more productive than me." Do you know what you're doing? You are absolutely stopping up your sink. You are you are just stopping the flow of writing. You be you. Mm-hmm. You know, if you got this far, it's because you're relentless. But relentless doesn't mean I write for 12 hours a day until <laughs> my hand falls off my wrist. It means writing is a part of your life. It's a permanent part of your life. 
and it's it's always there with you. Yeah. You're you're a writer. You're a writer. Don't punish yourself. Yes, exactly. I love that. I mean, will you tell us a little bit about the third book, or is that still the third novel, or is that still sort of under wraps? Um, it, it's it's a little under wraps. It's kind of on submission right now. Um, it's it is typical of me, kind of odd, and it once again started with uh, a notion and then a little fact. That's um, and it really came out. I was just like sort of playing with some research on near death experiences, just because they're just super interesting. Because you're to me. a writer. Because <laughs> I'm a writer. Yeah, exactly. It's like oh, this is so cool. And there was like a really cool story, like I think that took place like in the '90s or something, of this woman who essentially just keeled over on the sidewalk. She had like a sudden brain aneurysm oh, of dang. some kind. And they needed immediate emergency surgery. And she had a near-death experience where she saw herself on the table and described to the doctors afterwards everything they did. And it was accurate. And all her senses had been blocked. Like they put um, noise-canceling headphones on her because they needed a baseline of her brain activity. And they didn't want any extra stimuli getting in. So not only was she fully anesthetized, but like they used surgical glue to shut her eyes. So her brain wasn't storing any images, but she still saw all of this. It's unexplained. And I was like, this is the coolest story ever. And I was, my mind was kind of running with it. And in the article, there was this footnote. And of course I'm like, well, if you put a footnote in, I have to read it. I mean, you went to that trouble. And so I found the footnote and it was because it dealt with the moment where she was hooked up to the EEG, the electroencephalogram, where they were measuring her brain activity. And the footnotes said the EEG is, you know, largely credited to this German psychiatrist from the turn of the 20th century who himself had a near-death experience that led to its development. I'm like, well, I need to follow this. I mean, down the rabbit hole, I need to go. And that's what led to the new book. Oh, it that's was very cool. this gentleman's experience where proving that it happened to him kind of became his white whale. He chased it all his life. He never quite proved it. Um, But he went from sort of the turn of the 20th century straight into the rise of the Nazi party. Um, And I'm like, this story is about the two things that are so powerful that they can be heard across great distance by somebody who's not there. Love and death. Yeah, I, this is this is a story, and so that's, that's cool. really where this novel kind of developed. It's called "The Electric Love Song of Fleischelberger," um, and I hope it finds a home soon. That's awesome. So, yeah. And I think Thank it goes you. back to what you said before is read all the time, right? Read, 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 because you honestly yeah, never yeah. know where it's going to come from. You never know where it's coming from. It comes from the craziest places. It comes unexpectedly, um, and it's like... Remember those like fly strips that they sell in stores where the fly just gets like stuck to it? It's, yes. They're pretty gross. Um, but I have sort of a fly strip rule for writing because we get bombarded with ideas all the time, right? We're always like, ooh, that'd be cool. And then it's gone. Mm-hmm. Don't, worry, don't worry about those. But if you find yourself 24, 48 hours later, it's still with you. Pay attention to it. It's, it's stuck to you for a reason. And it's demanding your attention. So the ones that just come and go really quickly, they they weren't supposed to stay. Don't worry about them. Right, right. That's amazing. I love that. So where can people find you if they want to get to the writing retreat, if they want to buy the right formula, if they want to see this new book coming out and your other ones? Yeah, I would love to hear from everybody. The best places to reach me are on Instagram and Facebook. And on both of those sites, I can be reached either at my name, 
David Rocklin on Instagram. It's D Rocklin, um, or at the right formula, which is at the dot right dot formula. So I, I respond to all the DMs and all the comments. Awesome. Um, reach out to me. I'd love to hear from you if you think that I might be able to help you with what you're working on. I'd love to hear from you just if you want to just say, here's what I'm working on. Just wanted to share it with another writer. I love that. Um, and I will get back to you because I know what it's like to wait in quiet. <laughs> I'm not going to do that to anybody. I just will not do it. That's amazing. So we will have the links in the show notes below, obviously. And um, if anyone is looking for a retreat, this retreat sounds amazing. And definitely follow David um, so that you can find out when the new book, The Electric Love Song of Fleischl. Fleischl? I'm not very good at it. Fleischl. <laughs> Fleischl yeah. Burger. Fleischl. That's a great, <laughs> great title. So thank, thank you, you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. This was fun. Hey, you're still listening. Since you are, could you do me a favor and head over to the app that you're listening to this episode on and hit the subscribe button and then rate and review the show? It would really help the Pencils and Lipstick podcast get out into the world. And if you're enjoying the podcast, well, then there might be more people out there who would enjoy it as well. If you want to find out more about me, you can head over to catcaldwell.com. I have my story over there, my books, my interactive journals, my one-on-one coaching information, and information on my creative writing community membership group. If you're looking to write a book or you are a writer and you just want to find out more about how to write, how to publish, how to format, how to market, and all the things that go into being an author these days, check out the membership group. There is a 14 free day trial that you can try it out, get into the masterminds, find out all the goodies that we are talking about in the group. I would love to see you there.